So, as I said, we've come to the the bit um, that's known as the burial of Christ. So I just want to focus on just this very short um, section of scripture. We've gone through the arrest of Christ and the trial and the sentencing and the verdict, the crucifixion and the death. And now we come to the burial. And I want to just take that burial. So we'll read it together because it's only a, a few verses. It's uh, John 19, verse 38, just to the end of the chapter, 42. Um, I felt I'd just stick to that and let others deal with the, um, the appearings, the resurrection and the appearings of the Lord uh, together uh, in future weeks. Well, let's just read this together. It's um, headed the burial of Jesus. You can read it also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So this is John's version. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. I think... Um, I want to just focus on this poignant time uh, in this whole, call it a saga, the whole list of events that I've just listed, which went on to include the resurrection and the appearance and the ascension, the whole period of the end days of the Son of Man on earth. And this point, we've come to the death the Lord Jesus Christ is on the cross and he has died. If you remember that they came to break the legs of the two thieves and the Lord Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, they found that he had been, he was dead already. And so they thrust a spear into his side, up into his heart, just to, be absolutely sure. It seems as if there's a, when we think about the, the death, it seemed to have been a, a, a full of commotion and noise. And when the Lord died, uh, the whole earth shook and tombs were open. And uh, it was a time of great commotion and noise. But it seems there comes a point when that all dies down and there's a calm 
There's a peace. Jesus is dead. The two characters that are mentioned, I'd like to just deal with them first. One, Joseph of Arimathea, whom we don't know very much about and we don't hear about again. Um, he was somebody who was rich. We learn that from the, uh, the other uh, accounts. And he was somebody who was um, a secret disciple. He was belonged, he was a member of the council of Jewish leaders, along as was Nicodemus. Uh, and in order to maintain that position, I suppose he felt he had to follow Jesus secretly. He was somebody who owned the tomb. It was a tomb that had been hewn out of a rock and it was near the cross. It belonged to Joseph. The other person, Nicodemus, we read about in John 3. And we know a little bit more about him because he questioned the Lord. Uh, he was the one, if you remember, when, uh, he, he, when it's, the Lord had taught him that you must be born again. And he had inquired, well, how can that be? Are we expected to go back into the womb of our mothers, uh, which was a bit tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure, uh, when he said that. Uh, but he was somebody who believed in Jesus. He listened to him. And if we go back again and think about the, the marvelous teachings of the Lord Jesus in John 3, where he was listening to not just being born again, he was listening to being the, the Lord talking about the Son of Man being lifted up. And he was talking about those that believed would have eternal life. Again, we don't get a lot in scripture, but I imagine both Joseph and Nicodemus would have watched the crucifixion. I can't believe they didn't. It was a public spectacle. Uh, anybody could walk along and watch if they wanted to. And these were men who would have seen their colleagues in the council of uh, the Jewish um, Pharisee CEO group, um, who were the leaders who were stirring up the crowd, who were uh, the ones actively campaigning to be anti-Jesus and to crucify him. They would have watched that. The only other thing we know about Nicodemus was that in chapter 7 of John, we read about him speaking up for Jesus, that when they were condemning him, that he made the point that, well, why don't we listen to what he has to say? Give him a chance. And he was mocked for that and told, well, no prophet ever came out of Galilee. Which wasn't strictly true, because um, Jonah came from that area. So anyway, I believe he too would have been somebody who would have been very careful about his position. It says of him that he came to Jesus by night and therefore a lot, most people I think assume that that was because of his position and he, he did it secretly. That may be true, um, but it, with an open mind, it might equally have been true that that was the best time to come to Jesus. Uh, and 
he, but anyway, the main point was, and the main point of both of them, although they were possibly secret disciples, they were concerned for the Jews. There came a point that after they had witnessed the crucifixion, they became bold. There's a lot of it we can read in for ourselves in this, you know, that the importance of us coming to the cross and in, in a regular fashion, not just on the first day of the week when we remember him and broken bread and poured out wine when we can, or, but the regularity that's important in our Christian lives of coming to the cross and just um, meditating on it because it's the most important event that this world has ever seen. And although sometimes we, the, we almost feel the scriptures skim over it, I think it's not the case because it's, it's the great God of heaven has given us his word, which is living and active. And it's, it's meant for us to meditate on these things and to allow the Holy Spirit within us to encourage us to think and appreciate and have deeper love for the Lord Jesus because of what he did. These men, they became bold. I mentioned about the fact of the turmoil and the noise and the terrible actions that were going on during the deaths of all three of these men, particularly the Lord and the great uh, noise around them of the, of the natural um, thunder and lightning and the, the splitting of rocks that went on. But I think there was probably a then that came this quiet. A point of three men dead on a cross and I guess people would have started to walk away again. Uh, they'd seen it all, there was nothing more to see. And you get this feeling of this quietness, this peace, and there, the silence. I wonder about, you know, the size of the disciples and the woman, etc., that would have watched all of that, did they also walk away? Was there just this picture of the three men left dead on a cross. It wasn't the mind of God for the Son of Man to be left on the cross. He raised up these two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, who went to Pilate and asked for the body. And Pilate says, yes, you can have it. It was very good of Pilate to say that. He had no option because God designed it that way. And these men, leaders, the Sanhedrin, leaders amongst the Jews, boldly went and asked for the body. They had such an important job, and we don't read any more about these men. They, we know they were disciples, but this was an act of love. This, again, trying to just uh, shut your eyes and meditate on what happens that they would have got a ladder or they would have got some help to stand up and got the Lord off the cross to be able to take the nails out of his hands and his feet 
to have taken across the crown of thorns that maybe was still in his head and got taken that off and with great care handled the body of Christ. The body of Christ is important. You know, sometimes we, you know, we, go, we go to graves, don't we? We go to people's um, funerals. And primarily we go there for the people that are living because the dead person's not there. And the body seems to have very little significance because it's going to decay and it's going to wait for the coming again of the Lord Jesus, for the shout from heaven. But the Lord Jesus burial was different because his body was not going to see decay. His body had an importance because we read in Romans chapter four, sorry, Romans six and four, that we were buried with him. So there's an importance that the burial of the Lord Jesus takes because we were going to be buried with him. We were crucified with him. It's identification. We're part of it all. That's why I was saying the importance of the meditation and understanding and appreciation of all that happens at Calvary and includes the burial because we were buried with him. It's a sign of the end of the old and the beginning of the new. That what happened on Calvary was so horrendous and it was God's punishment that was due to us was being meted out on Christ. He was bearing our sin on his body on the tree. His body was being crushed. All his bones were out of joint. And here we come to the time when Joseph and Nicodemus take this body with all its bones out of joint. And they take the body and they lay it out. And it says that Nicodemus brought myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds. You can hardly carry that. That's an incredible amount of ointment, of anointing oil that was going to be used on the Lord. As they would very delicately take his body and wrap it in linen and pour this ointment in preparation for his burial. We know that if you remember that it was Mary Magdalene that, um, that came to, or, or, and also Mary, the, uh, the sister of Lazarus, who had the honor of anointing the Lord Jesus before his death. The Lord recognized that, that they were preparing him for his burial. But now here we have him actually dead. Where was the soul of the Lord? <laughs> they, we believe that the soul of the Lord, that he, and you read about it in Ephesians 4, that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. 
because it says that when he descended, he was the very same one who ascended. But we're talking about the body here. Um, the soul had departed because he'd said into your hands, I commit my spirit. He handed his spirit over to his father and he went down into the heart of the earth, into, we believe, upper Sheol. And here we are reading, dealing with this body, the body that God had prepared for him to indwell and the, the beauty of it. And we just see the picture of Joseph and Nicodemus handling with great care and anointing that body. You read in Psalm 45, verse 8, and it talks about the fragrance of Christ. About in Romans 13 and 14, it says that we should put on Christ. And I think it's like we should smell like him. I believe when they were preparing the Lord on in the tomb, that the smell that must have come out of here must have been beautiful. The smell of the body of Christ, 75 pounds worth of anointing oil as he'd wrapped his body. We are being buried with him. We should smell with him. We should smell like him. Sometimes we think too that the oil wasn't necessary because the fragrance of Christ was going to come anyway. Because when we consider what Christ has done at Calvary, that when we come to the tomb and when we look at the tomb and we go into the tomb and we are buried with him, surely we can just see the beauty of Christ and his aroma just arises into our nostrils. We become part of him. He died for us. And our old person, our old sinful nature has been nailed to the cross. We are free from sin. We are alive unto Christ. But first, we have to be buried with him. Put on Christ is something, it's like an act that we have to go through. In believing in the teaching of John 3, uh, where... We see him lifted. We believe in him. We belong to him. We are grateful for our sins being heaped on him. We enter into his tomb and the old, the old David King's gone. This David King's sin was nailed to the cross. It was put on Christ. I go with him into the tomb, ready to be raised in a new life. I just want to quickly go on to just some items before we go into prayer, because in Colossians 2 and 12, we read about having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God. We see that the resurrection is by virtue of Christ's death and burial. They go together. Death is not the end as it is with mankind and sinful man. The thing with Christ, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The three things are together. Although we are breaking them up here in our talks, 
they go together. We've been buried with him, ready to be raised with him. The Lord Jesus was buried in the outside place. It says that the tomb was right next to the cross. The cross was in Golgotha, was outside the walls of Jerusalem. It was a place where we believe the, the rubbish got tipped. It was a place where people didn't usually go. It was a, outside, it was a discarded place. And it was a picture of man's attitude to Christ. The tomb was in a garden. The world might disown Christ, but we don't. We go in with him to the garden. He was buried in a garden because it was in a garden where death first raised its head, first imposed its power. And so it's important again that we see another garden where we see where death is about to be conquered. It was a new tomb. It was hewn out of a rock. The picture, of course, of Christ, the rock. We read all about it so in the Old Testament, about reading Hebrews and referring to the Old Testament that the spiritual rock that followed the children of Israel through the wilderness was Christ. He is the rock. The psalmist talked about the rock, the rock that was higher than him. The importance that Moses saw in the rock, stand on the rock, and being put in the cleft of the rock. Again, you get this picture. Why a rock? A rock hewn out. It was not just coincidence that the rock, the person of Christ, was put in the rock and covered by a rock. He was put in there, the solid picture of Christ. There's you coming together of the Son of Man and the Son of God. They were two in the same. And you can see it here as the Son of Man, and the body for the Son of Man to indwell was put in the spiritual rock, the Son of God. And there you see them coming together. They were one. They become, you're seen physically as being one in the rock and he would be raised as one. Just lastly, in Hebrews four and four, it talks about the fact of the picture of the Lord God of heaven that in the seventh day he rested. The reason the Lord was taken and quickly put in a tomb was because it was a time of preparation. Preparation for what? The preparation for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was there to commemorate the time when the Lord rested on the seventh day, that is creation of this world. And he looked on it and he saw it was good and he rested. Here you're getting the picture of the seventh day coming up where again is going to be the day of rest, and you get this period of the Lord being laid out on the tomb. And there's this quietness, this rest, because this is a new creation. And this is another creation of God. And there they're waiting for the new creation. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a 
new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so I just leave you with that picture of there waiting the coming of the seventh day, commemorating the birth of the earth, the creation of God. But this new creation was far greater than the first creation, far more important to us because we are part of the new creation as we look forward to eternity in Christ Jesus. Thank you.